This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Trax Technologies. For more than two decades, a provider of software and services for logistics performance management. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a talk with Trax CEO Don Baptiste. But now, on to the podcast. How does a global company competing in a highly specialized market sector gain control of its logistics spend? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Blunt International is a maker and marketer of equipment and replacement parts for the forestry, lawn and garden, farm, ranch, and concrete cutting industries. It manufactures, distributes, and sells products in more than 115 countries. On the show today, I'm speaking with Alfredo Camacho, Blunt's Director of Global Logistics. He tells the story of how the company found itself unable to figure out how much it was spending on logistics and where exactly the money was going. Blunt lacked basic information on its carrier base, making it impossible to streamline the logistics settlement process. We'll find out what the company did to rectify the problem and how the benefits ended up stretching far beyond the routine processes of freight payment and audit. So here is my conversation with Alfredo Camacho. Alfredo Camacho, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Tell me about Blunt International. Blunt International is a global manufacturer and marketer of replacement parts, equipment, and accessories for the forestry, lawn, and garden segment. And with that also includes the farm, ranch, and agricultural component of the market. We're based in 100 countries around the world in terms of our product lines. Certainly, we have various distribution points throughout the global network. Well, so give me a range of products that Blunt sells from small to large, from individual consumer to corporate consumers and the like. What what types of products out there specifically are we talking about? Some of the key products in, in the market today are uh, around the Oregon brand, and that Oregon brand includes bar and chain for the replacement market, as well as chain for chainsaws that also we put out in the market under the Oregon brand. Those are some of the key ones. Also, on the farm, ranch, and agricultural side, we also have a log splitter item that we put out there in various sizes, in which we sell through our mass merchant customers. How long have you been around as a company? As a company, uh, we've been around since around the 1945 in terms of the uh, Oregon brand. Certainly, uh, we've evolved since then into other parts of the business. Today, we focus on, on various areas that we've developed around new technologies and full segments, but necessarily we go back to the 40s. You say you're in over 100 countries. Where's the competition? Who are you up against in terms of other companies that do exactly the same thing or varied product? I mean, what's the competitive landscape look like to you? 
We compete with the steel companies of the world, the uh, Husqvarna's. In some cases, they are also our customers. So in terms of the, the global uh, competition, that's essentially who we go up against when it comes to the bar and chain segment. Some of the other aftermarket items, some of the other um, handheld units that uh, we put out to market, certainly we compete out in the market with the Ryobis, certainly the, the Black & Deckers of the world. So how do you get your product to market? Well, first of all, where do you actually make the product? Is it all made in the United States or is it manufactured uh, abroad? For our manufactured goods, the bar and chain, uh, we manufacture in, in the U.S., in Portland, Oregon, where we are headquartered. And we also manufacture in Canada, in Brazil, and in China. From there, we service our customers within those regions, as well as shipping direct to customers within the other markets. Okay, so getting that product to market, what's the, what does the distribution network look like? Do you have a series of regional distribution centers or one distribution center? or where, How is the product actually moved to, to market? We have uh, key distribution centers, so definitely uh, the, the Hub and Spoke Network model uh, throughout the North American region. We have key distribution center in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and then in Europe, we have our key facility in Belgium, and then in Asia, uh, we work through some of our plants and some of our distributors out in that market. So in terms of getting our product to market, we flow primarily through our uh, our master uh, distribution centers. Are you manufacturing within the regions that you're selling to? Like, for instance, China manufacturing for Asia, American manufacturing for America, or do you actually ship overseas and into this country or into other regions entirely? Actually, both. Within each country, we certainly supply customers in, in those markets. I would say uh, we're probably at, at a 50-50 breakdown when it comes to goods that stay within market and certainly goods that flow to the other markets. So, for example, in China, in our Fuzhou plant, we service customers in Asia out of there. However, we also uh, provide finished goods from there to our European customers and certainly out to our uh, North American customers. So what do your logistics partners look like? What types of modes do you depend on to get your product to market? We actually depend on all modes. When it comes to uh, intercontinental moves, we, we work with our global freight forwarder partners, such as Expeditors and Panalpina. Certainly when we get into in-country or in-region distribution uh, requirements, we work with the, the small parcel providers, the LTL providers. I mean, we have strategic partnerships with the global network players as well. And that helps us leverage our, our volume globally. It helps us streamline the activity that we have going from point A to point B. That allows us to focus on optimizing our network as, as much as possible when we develop those strategic partnerships. So you do have a wide range of modes and a wide range of carriers that move your product to market in all these different countries. What was the big challenge that you had in controlling those logistics partners and your logistics spend? What was the problem you were facing? The initial problem was simple visibility, visibility of spend, visibility of mix in terms of mode, in terms of shipments. And on top of that, shipment flows that would uh, allow us to make some key decisions. The challenge of just having an international supply chain, both on goods outgoing to customers and goods coming in from internal and external supply base, challenged us in terms of attacking costs and also trying to improve service levels to our customers. Tell me about expense leakage. What is that and how was that happening? That typically happens in, in the form of spend occurring outside of, uh, call it our, our compliance network or our approved carrier network 
on the freight side. Another uh, expense leakage that we see on the supply chain side is around goods being delayed due to either not enough upstream visibility to our supply base or to our uh, logistics network, which obviously results in expedited forms of uh, transportation. Those are the key areas that any logistics organization will focus on with as much data as possible. So you had varying visibility into what you were spending on your logistics carriers and what they were doing and how they were executing based on that. Is that basically the issue that we're talking about here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just the uh, the varying degrees of complexity involved and the limited and sometimes lacking of visibility of those movements. What was the trigger for change? Was there a particular moment when you said, this has got to change, we've got to do better? And if so, what was that moment? It was a moment in in the sense of the organization went through a a, a top-level change in terms of uh, leadership, in terms of concept, in terms of strategy. And with that came not only the requirement, but certainly the uh, the, the mandate to drive cost improvements, sustain them, create predictive capabilities throughout our supply chain organization. So in, in the span of maybe uh, one to two years, we went through that, call it evolution uh, of sorts within the organization. And with that came the requirement to uh, not only align throughout our supply chain, but also develop capabilities to drive some of those improvements and capabilities and drive service levels to our customers, absolutely. A lot of companies that take that sort of problem in hand are themselves faced with kind of tightening markets and more competitive challenges from their, from others in the market. Did you feel that? I mean, did you feel other companies kind of out there and the need to stay competitive and kind of reach to your bottom line by going inside and addressing this problem? Absolutely. Just an example in terms of what drove the shift and evolution of sorts. Our product, while it's highly engineered, our competitors are figuring out how to come up with a, call it a mass market type of item or uh, replicating some of the uh, some of the technology and, and some of the patents may be uh, expiring and therefore it's, uh, it's becoming more accessible to competitors. So that in itself would just require Blunt to continue to innovate and continue to uh, to sustain the operational efficiencies that uh, we've developed, and those market pressures, and obviously just the uh, the need to continue to stay ahead of, uh, of the competition, were were key drivers for us to, to consider opportunities. So you had a big task in front of you. How did you address it from the start? What was the first step you took? Well, uh, the initial step was seeking out the right partners to help us manage this global network of ours. Initially, it started with rationalizing our carrier base globally, and that helped us develop the partnerships with the right uh, providers throughout the organization and certainly throughout the uh, the network. And uh, that progressed into developing key visibility tools around our, our freight spend and our freight management. And that evolved into a, an ongoing discussion about which provider, which type of providers we wanted to partner with. And that came down to looking at the series of, of companies that not only provide payment services on, on freight invoicing and audit uh, capabilities, but then also, what would they do with that data? I guess it was important to pretty quickly get just beyond basic freight payment and audit, right? I imagine that was an early thing, but then you moved on from there. Like, What were some of the other aspects that you attacked in the process of solving this problem of getting a handle on your logistics spend? Certainly, as we started to uh, to gain some of the efficiencies and some of the initial wins from the operational gains of just automated invoice, audit, and payment functions, 
we started to dissect the data. We started to present that information internally as other uh, parts of our organization started to realize what type of data we had access to in terms of freight send information, diagramming and profiling our, our shipment flows. That really sparked an interest internally on creating or, or scaling up a different type of dashboard here, a different type of dashboard there for our finance group. Before we knew it, we created a demand we didn't realize we had internally. With that, certainly uh, went back to the tracks organization and the tracks team to help us develop tools to not only work with the data that we had processing through that, but then marrying that data with uh, other externally generated information and tying it together to uh, to create consumable dashboards, consumable um, data outputs to the rest of our organization. So uh, I, I, would, I would say the in a nutshell, it's, uh, it became a, uh, an internal demand feature that really drove some of the, the higher level discussions from there. You said you learned some stuff you didn't know before. So there were some surprises along the way uh, and some lessons learned that you maybe didn't expect. What was un- unanticipated in the acquisition of these solutions? Certainly. Some of the key areas that, that we certainly learned along the way had to do with just the level of complexity in, in setting the data to feed correctly. So what I mean by that is we have so much information within our organization and certainly as we generate information through the tracks environment, trying to piece the two together and trying to drive value from a massive database created some challenges. So the, the lesson learned there is what does the organization need? How do we as a logistics organization want to take some of that information and either drive savings, drive revenue, whichever it is that you're going after, and scaling that down to a way that it's consumable to make some key decisions. So certainly a lot of, of times we, we can get into situations where we just see information and data and don't know where to start. And so the, the key learning for us there was let's start small and scale up. So great opportunities that way. So problem solved, everything's fixed, 100% visibility of logistics spend or not? Where are you today? (laughs) Problem solved in one form, opportunities gained, and many more to go after from this. We have, over the last six months or so, we've taken on some higher-level optimization projects that involve profiling shipment flows from suppliers to our distribution center and also from our distribution center to our customers. And so using and recycling the data that's coming through the tracks environment, we were able to quickly develop different models of consolidation of shipments from point A to point B to the point that we were able to look at our our activity from China into our Kansas City distribution center. And uh, we've been able to drive a consolidation program that is now due to gain us of roughly $800,000 million from a year-over-year aspect. And the ability to do that on a month's notice or certainly a a turnaround time of a month was a significant, significant opportunity with the information that we had readily available through the the tracks environment. Did you anticipate that in the process of gaining control of your spend and gaining visibility that it would actually lead to such actual changes in your distribution network? Was that what you were hoping or was that a surprise? That was a nice surprise. When we started down this journey two or three years ago, we never anticipated being where we are today with this data at this time. I would say it's been a pleasant surprise what we've been able to do with the information in our hands today. What does the future look like to you, Alfredo, the coming year or years in terms of the competitive landscape, the changes in your business, the big challenges, the things that you expect to keep you up at night in the months and years ahead? What does it look like to you? 
From an organizational perspective, we're, we're facing uh, some headwinds within just the, the general market conditions, general uh, economic conditions throughout different parts of the world. With that comes the challenge of reducing costs throughout our operational network, at the same time sustaining them. The biggest challenge that we face in, in our logistics organization is optimizing our network. At the same time, how do we sustain that for, for years to come? We're not privy to just wanting to do a one-time gain of sorts. So certainly that's the, the biggest challenge we face today. And uh, that's what we continue to go after on a daily basis. Any new sources of competition, any upstarts or anything you're looking out there that might change just the whole competitive landscape? Yes, in, in, in many forms. So, I mean, we do touch various customer segments out in the market today. So what one of the biggest pressures we, we face today is just getting positioned to service an e-commerce environment that is uh, impacting us in, in various uh, markets of the world. As a manufacturer, certainly as a, a distributor, a supplier to a distributor network throughout the world, we have to be well positioned to service that type of customer demand in, in the near future. Well, Alfredo Camacho, I want to thank you for giving us a glimpse into the world of Blunt International and its very uh, interesting and unusual market segment and how you guys are staying competitive in this international environment. Thank you very much for being with us and telling us your story. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Don Baptiste, welcome. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on today. Let's talk about Trax Technologies. Give me kind of a capsule history of the company, would you? Sure. Trax Technologies was started about 20 years ago and really started out as a consulting firm. And over the past few years, we've been making the transition to a software company. At our heart, what we do is we help our clients optimize logistics spend. And through that, we really help the entire logistics ecosystem become more efficient and effective and hopefully identifying opportunities for our clients for savings, as well as improving their underlying data. At the end of the day, if the data is not good, the insights you derive from it are going to be suspect. Well, what was the original need, do you believe? What was the hole that you felt needed to be filled that made tracks viable in the marketplace? Well, it started out as a traditional freight audit and payment company, and we've been doing that for for 20 years, we've become better and better at it. And over time, started doing much more around data refinement and cleaning up the data because without that very solid foundation of good, normalized, clean data, you really can't get solid insights. And one of the nice derivatives from freight audit and payment for us was the ability to create business intelligence tools. And that helped us move from for a traditional freight audit and payment where we're looking at avoiding leaks to logistics performance management and looking to optimize logistics spend. How do you assess the current ability of companies in general to get hold of their freight spend, their audit and payment programs, and utilize that data in a larger sense that you've described? There are some um, companies out there doing it, but it seems like there's a lot that haven't managed it as well. Is that correct? First and foremost, you want to start with the data. That's always going to be the foundation of everything. And so you want to look at for the things that you want to get out of trade audit and payment or out of business intelligence, do you have the right data sets already in place? So it's one, identifying, do I have all the right things, whether it's origin and destination, service level, you name it. You want to make sure you have those underlying pieces. And then are you receiving them in a consistent manner and are they normalized? Because the only way you can really drive those great insights is having that fantastic data. And so it's, for us, it's been a nice outcropping of freight audit and payment. 
it gives us a vehicle to clean the data, to work with carriers to improve gaps in their data quality, uh, which is also helpful back to them. And then we can layer on the business intelligence and help people do a better job with logistics performance management. And that's things like identifying savings opportunities from service level changes, from consolidation of shipments, things of that nature. And we want to do it on an automated basis where others might do it on a one-off consulting basis. Do you think the problem is getting more complex these days with the increasing globalization of supply chains, the additional number of partners, the increasing realization of companies that they need to focus more on risk management with their suppliers and with their financial, the financial aspect of the supply chain? Is it becoming more of a challenge? Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head with the complexity. As supply chains become more complicated, that drives tougher problems around data integrity. And companies doing some really sophisticated, neat things with their supply chains, becoming much more global, becoming faster, using more specialty carriers for different pieces of it. All those things are great and give you a more flexible, more capable supply chain, but it also adds to the data integrity problem. And I think that's one of the, one of the areas that we've done pretty well at. Our client base tends to be a sophisticated global client base. So we've got a track record and a history of wrestling with some of these more difficult problems and getting to a good outcome when it comes to data quality. And let me tell you, it's not a trivial task, but it's one that I think we're pretty well suited to handle. Tell me more about what you mean by business intelligence. What type of intelligence and how can it be applied to the organization going forward? Sure. Well, the first thing we think about business intelligence is just pure visibility. Give me visibility to my supply chain end to end. And as simple as that sounds, many folks are lacking that visibility. Then once I have visibility, I may want to look at discovery. Can I find everything that I want to find within my supply chain? Then the last piece is help me make better decisions within my supply chain. So I'm seeing great visibility. I can do what-if scenarios. I can see where there's opportunities to consolidate shipments. I can see opportunities where maybe I can go to a lower price carrier or change service levels. I can see what amount of my spend is contracted versus not contracted. All those things that give me the fact base to make better decisions. And when you start talking about a global, sophisticated, complicated supply chain, you really need a solid fact base where you could make decisions that have a negative impact on your overall performance. So have you, in fact, seen some of your own customers go back and take this information and use it to change or revise in some way their carrier bases, add carriers, subtract carriers, consolidate spend, make better use of their spend in general? Sure. We see significant improvements in as, as far as the amount of spend that our clients need to put towards their overall logistics footprint. All this information helps you. Now, It's not we're not talking about any one thing, but it's as you look and you add up, do I avoid leaks by having tight freight audit policies? Yes. And you save three, four points there. Can I optimize the type of spend that I'm doing? And that's the logistics performance management. We see clients make real, real advances there and save significant amounts of money while improving the performance that they're receiving. So we see it all the time from our clients. And I think we've got a few case studies out that, that talk in specifics about individual clients that have been able to move the needle quite substantially. What would you say is the biggest challenge that your clients face going forward, and how might tracks be positioned to address those challenges? I think you talked about it earlier. It's really the global complexity. As supply chains get more and more complex, it gets harder and harder to have full visibility into all the moving pieces 
and to get a fact base to make good decisions. I think that's an area where we shine. We help people see their end-to-end supply chain. We give them the tools that they need to make those fact-based decisions. Complexity is great. Sophistication is great. If you can control it, if you have full transparency and visibility into it, if not, you start to see those costs escalate and you start to see a performance fall apart. We want to arm our clients with the best information possible and the best tools possible so they can make the best decisions. They're always going to have the the deep, deep insight of their particular circumstance, their particular environment. We're never going to be able to replace that, but you want to augment everything they have so they can make those, those good decisions and put their domain experience to best use. Don Baptiste, I want to thank you so much for telling us a little bit about the story of Trax Technologies. Thanks for being with us. Bob, thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Alfredo Camacho of Blunt International, talking about how the company gained control of its global logistics spend. Our thanks to Trax Technologies for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.